This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my gosh! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy Duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around as the horses or Broncos, as they're referred to are back in the stable, back at Dove Valley at the UC Health Training Center, back for team-organized off-season workouts, and back hearing the message from their new head coach, Vic Fangio. I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com and Orange Blue 760, joined by my co-host on First and 10 at 10 from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mountain Time. We're one of my co-hosts because Steve Atwater is on assignment in the parlance of the late, great Irv Brown. Ryan Edwards joining me here. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I I love that you've embraced that as much as I have, the on assignment when I got into radio in the first place. That was the common common saying anytime anybody was off, and uh, I I love carrying that torch. We can't carry all all of what Irv and Joe, more specifically Irv Brown, the late great Irv Brown do, but that's one that I, I get a certain amount of satisfaction every time we say it. I hope we continue to say it for many, many years. Yep. Whatever we do, wherever we go, and uh, hey, we all owe a little something to the late, great Irv Brown, who, well of course, said. passed away earlier this year. He obviously talked a lot about the Broncos. We're going to get into that. And, of course, like I mentioned, it's the start of off-season work, the start of Phase 1 of OTAs. Now, in Phase 1, you can't do anything on-field with position coaches. The only on-field things you can do or with your strength and conditioning coaches. You can't even do teaching. Basically, no football involved. <laughs> no actual in football. The, yes. <laughs> like uh, the actual football. This is use. conditioning. This is straight-up conditioning. So, you know, running pass patterns, you can do that on your own away from the facility. You cannot do that as part of OTAs. And you can be, as a player, at team headquarters no more than four hours a day. But you can meet with your coaches. You can start the process of digesting the playbook. And you can also start the process of getting on the same page, finding out what the new head coach wants, what his standard is going to be. So before we get into that, Let's rewind back to January of this year. Vic Fangio, at his first press conference, he'd already mentioned death by inches. Here's where he talks about what that means. When you see a small um, misdemeanor crime that's an inch crime, you correct it. Here's what death by inches means. Okay? If you're running a meeting, whether it be a team meeting, Defense, defense meeting, uh, a position coach meeting, and a player walks in, say, 30 seconds late, 45 seconds late. And that act in and of itself really has no impact on whether you're going to win or lose that week. But if you let it slide, you know, the next day there's two or three guys late. Or it went from 30 seconds to two minutes and it causes an avalanche of problems. And that's death by inches. So he referred to the meetings, Mm -hmm. and we've talked with Derek Wolf about how players on some position groups, some areas of the team, were late for meetings over the course of the last year. And that was a part of where things started to slip. So now let's come to the present week. Vic Fangio on Tuesday meets with his players as a team for the first time. Starting to have meetings among position groups, offense, defense, special teams. And this is where the culture of the team starts to be established. Bradley Chubb, when he met with the media Thursday, here's what he had to say about the culture being established by Vic Fangio and how it entails specifically to meetings. 
I feel like the culture is changing. A lot of guys are holding each other accountable, whether it be in the weight room or, or in the meetings. Like if I'm not writing something down, Jeff checking me, just like, hey, make sure you write that down, stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, like first team meeting, we started at 8, but guys were in there at 7.55 in their seats. And I remember just like a couple of times last year, guys would be rolling at 7.59. So just, just culture change like that. Everybody wants to be better than we were than 5 and 11 and 6 and 10. Well, there you go. Holding guys accountable. Writing stuff down, like Bradley Chubb said. If he's not writing it down, Jeff Holland is telling him, mm-hmm. hey, make sure you write that down. Guys showing up for the meetings five minutes early. You could say they're on Tom Coughlin standard time. Now, whether this results in a difference in the win-loss lecture, you know, we're not going to be able to definitively say that one way or another. So many factors go into that. But the first step for Vic Fangio if he's going to do what he wants to do with the Broncos, is establishing his culture. He seems to have wasted no time in that. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to put it. Accountability, establishing expectations. There's, there's an expectation, and, and you're 100% right, whether or not it translates to the Broncos winning more games or <clears throat> better on-field product. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, as Steve Atwater say, we'll see. But... The thing about it is details were something that came up so often over the last couple of years, or more importantly, the lack of details, lack of detail work. And as Derek Wolf pointed out, sometimes it's as simple as being early or on time. Now, he pointed out it, they were even late for some meetings, never mind coming in right before the thing started, like Bradley Chubb saying 30 seconds before in the past. Derek Wolf talked about guys, especially in the secondary, coming in late sometimes for meetings. And he didn't specifically name names. I, I, I can draw my own conclusions to that. But I, I, I more want to point out that Vic Fangio, in his intro press conference, established an expectation. We are not going to have death by inches here. We are not going to... We're going to focus on detail-oriented tasks off the field just as much as on the field. And look... It's an indicator that at least the team is focused on saying, hey, look, if we can do the small things now, hopefully that bleeds over into better production on the field. It seems like right now, and even going through phase two and into phase three of OTAs, when you can actually do offense versus defense and one-on-one work, that it's going to be about fundamentals and details, small picture stuff, rather than going to the big picture stuff right away. Getting the small stuff right, building that core, and counting on these things, helping you get the bigger stuff right. Vic talked about it at the league meeting when he had his coach's breakfast. He mentioned the idea that they're going to work on a lot of fundamentals first, that there's not going to be much situational type of work until they get all the fundamentals down, and then they build off of that core. So... I would interpret that to mean when you get to OTAs, Phase 3, when we're seeing them out there on the field in May and early June, as well as at the mandatory minicamp in June, that we probably won't see maybe a lot of no-huddle, two-minute type stuff. And instead, there'll be more emphasis on teaching and fundamental drills. And Philip Lindsay, when he met with media on Wednesday over at the uh, Colorado Sports Hall of Fame banquet, alluded to the fact that Players have been notified training camp's going to be tougher this year than it was last year. And he said that they're looking forward to it. They're looking forward to a little bit of tough love. I mean, look, he, he, he was only here one year of a losing season. Never mind the guys that have been here for two and the guys that have been here for three years of missing the playoffs. Uh, we, we talked to Zach Kerr, who's been here through the entirety of that a couple weeks ago, and he said he's looking forward to helping this team dig out. They're ready to do the work. They're ready to, to put in longer days, whatever it takes. And see, that's the thing is, is sometimes when we have these conversations with Steve on our show, he tends to come back to the onus and the players, the onus and the players. Well, there, there's certainly an amount of that, but they need the right direction too. They need to know what they should be working on, what direction they should be caring for their bodies, what direction they should be caring for the amount of work uh, prep that they do in in and out of every single week, preparing for the season, preparing for their opponents. And so this all strikes me as an overarching coaching kind of thing. And again, I'm fascinated to see how Vic Fangio does an in-game, just like we all are. 
But more than anything, when we come to these offseason workouts, when they actually can get on the field and practice with a real football, I'm excited to see how he handles it because Vance Joseph really struggled with what he's supposed to be doing during just normal practices. Yeah, he sometimes didn't look like he knew where he wanted to be, and he's admitted this. Yes. That he'd been a position coach and then for a year coordinator, and you knew you had kind of a specific role, a specific spot to be in. When you become a head coach, do you want to just lay back and let your coaches, your position coaches, do their thing, or do you want to be more involved? I am fascinated to see what Vic Fangio will do. But that being said, because Vic is going to have a lot of involvement in the defensive play calling, I imagine he may have an eye on the offense, but he'll be more involved with the defense, and that's okay. Yeah, and it comes back to something that John Gruden alluded to when he talked about advice to coaches that I, I, I'm with you on this. I, I think he's going to stay pretty defensive-focused. He's going to be in the meetings for the offense. He has to be able to talk about the offense as though he's aware of what's going on at all times. But for Vic Fangio, as John Gruden alluded to, look, do what got you here. What, what, what are you known for? What are you, what are you great at? He's great at teaching and calling the defense. He's going to stay, remained entrenched in the defense getting the defense back to the level that we're used to playing. Now, that's also simultaneously admitting that Rich Gangarello is going to have a lot of opportunity to put his stamp on the offense, and it's going to be a lot of of his mind that you're bringing to it, and he's also very young. So so maybe there's a bit of a cautionary thing we should be looking at that, that saying, well, Vic Fangio's got most of his attention on the defense. What does that mean for the offense? But at least right now, I'd say go with, as John Rudin alludes, go with what got you here in the first place. It's interesting. You look at the level of faith that is being shown in Scangarello. Yes. Now, he's been an offensive coordinator before, but he's been an offensive coordinator on the back roads of college football. Uh, Never at a level above FCS. Northern Arizona. Wagner. Is that too much to put on him? It kind of feels like it, just knowing just the history. I mean, we have history to tie to of guys getting this one shot. We've also seen examples where they were the right guy at the right time. The one thing I'll give them is they're going to be starting Rich Gangarello with a veteran quarterback that knows how to run a team. He knows what it's supposed to look like. And and if you're going to pin something, at least you're combining those two guys. And the other thing that I think is very important is the presence of Mike Munchak. Well said. He has not been a coordinator, but he's been a head coach. Yes. That will help Vic Fangio a little bit, but I think that will also help Rich Gangarello more because he's led an entire team. You know, Rich has to address half the team, the offense, when he's up there in the offensive meeting room at Broncos headquarters. And... Munchak, to me, seems like he can be a good resource for Rich Gangarello to bounce things off of. Say, okay, if I present it this way, how is this big group of guys going to perceive it? And Mike can kind of say, okay, well, it might come across this way. And so as valuable as Mike Munchak is going to be for the offensive line, and we've certainly gotten into on Orange and Blue 760, how important he is for Garrett Bowles in particular. Oh, yeah. He might be equally important for Rich Gangarello as a, a sounding board, someone he can turn to and ask, okay, how do I present this? If there's any doubt to a group when going in front of 30, you know, on offense, we get to the regular season, 25, 26 guys, 30 including the practice squad every day. And you're, you've done it. Yeah, he's done it in college, but it's different talking about college guys at Wagner, including a lot of non-scholarship guys, than it is in the NFL. I think that's, that's really well said. And, and, you know, really, so many times with the Broncos offense, we've come back to where do most of the problems on the offensive side of the ball stem from? It's been the offensive line. Pass blocking, run blocking. It, 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 most of the time it has not been as much about the talent level, though that has been something, especially last year with all the injuries. 
it tends to come back to the performance of the offensive line. And I'm not saying Mike Munchak fixes that overnight, but I am saying that you have the right guy overseeing it that Rich Gangarello maybe doesn't have to worry as much about the day-to-day operation of how it's being coached. Mm-hmm. He can more worry about how do I get everybody else to come up to the level that I think our offensive line should be playing at. And you have other good position coaches there as well. Oh, agree. And not Curtis necessarily coordinators. Zach Azani. Zach Azani, I wanted to bring him up because we talked with Deontay Johnson, Toledo wide receiver who visited with the Broncos this week. And we're doing the interview. He's on the phone. We're back in the studio at the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse. And could you hear Deontay Johnson light up when I brought up Zach Azani and just talk about him and what he and what he got out of the conversation and what he got out of seeing the Broncos playbook. And I've heard similar things from guys currently on the team about Zach Azani. He's he's a strength of that coaching staff right now. Well, we we got a sense of that even last year at the Senior Bowl when the Broncos were coaching yeah. at the Senior Bowl. I, I remember talking to some of the wide receivers out there about Zach Azani, and they all kind of got this big smile. Even the prospects got a big smile on their face. They just love the way he teaches the position. They love the way he sees the position. And so, yeah, he, he is a bit of an under-the-radar strength of the offensive side of the ball. And it's amazing to think about because I know we're going to get into a little bit of yards after catch, so we'll talk about receivers here mm-hmm. in just a sec. But it's amazing to, to say, well, last year the Broncos receivers weren't, weren't considered league-wide a strength, but that isn't really because of Zach Azani. In fact, we can make the argument, I think, pretty succinctly, that Cortland Sutton was ahead of some people's expectations simply by the teaching of Zach Azani. Well, he had seven, over 700 yards last year, and... That's a benchmark for a rookie who can grow into a wide receiver one. If he hits 700 yards as a rookie, that's a good sign for him. He got there on 42 receptions, targeted 84 times. A big part of that was how he was used, often going deep, nine ball. But he wasn't a full-time player. Right. Not Not all year long. Not until the second half of the season. Yep. And... To me, if he can get that catch percentage up to 63% or or 62.5%, which is right about the league average, it's very easy for me to see Cortland Sutton being a wide receiver one because you can get, you can get 75 <laughs> catches. I know you're glad I did that on I, I was waiting for it. If you weren't going to do it, I was. Get 119, 121 balls. He can get 75 receptions. If he stays at his per-catch average, that puts him north of 1,200 yards. Those are wide receiver one numbers, and I think he can get there. And that's his expectation, and he it should be, because we even last year when he was drafted in the second round said, maybe Cortland Sutton is your wide receiver one in year one, but by year two, you're going to have to put that expectation on him. Now, that was at the time when DT and Emmanuel were both here. It's still part of the future, but we had said when Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton were drafted, but more specifically Sutton, that the Broncos were going to have to make a decision. They probably weren't going to keep both DT and Emmanuel coming into the 2019 season. We all said that universally. It just so happened they traded DT midseason because Cortland Sutton was further along than they had expected, and Emmanuel was playing at a wide receiver one level. Well, Emmanuel does get hurt. That changes a little bit. Cortland Sutton was thrust maybe into a role that he wasn't quite quite ready for. But, you know, you listen to him and clearly no shortage of confidence. But you believe him. You believe that he knows or at least has got the right support staff, including Zach Azani, surrounding him, that he feels like he can be that guy. The biggest concern for Cortland because I feel like a lot of the route running stuff it mm-hmm. probably is still there. The biggest concern for me is still defenses are going to now focus on you mm-hmm. as a wide receiver one. Can you still have production when defenses are focusing on you and putting that much attention towards you? I've got some numbers for you. I know you do, and I love that. <laughs> I love saying those words. I, know. I, I, know, I, I feel you. like I'm about to drop something on you that will... Maybe not blow your mind, but it'll make you think, hmm. It's part of the charm of our show. It is. I was just looking up on Pro Football Reference. I said, okay, give me the rookie or first-year receivers that had 
over 15 yards per reception, over 700 receiving yards, and four more touchdowns. Cortland Sutton is the 14th player in the last 14 seasons to do this. Wow. Okay? Let me read you the other 13 in order from from 2005. Actually, the first one's in 07. There were no one, none in 05 or 06 to the present day. Megatron, Calvin Johnson, Jeez. Mike Wallace, Hakeem Nix, Torrey Smith, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Doug Baldwin, T.Y. Hilton, Josh Gordon, Terrence Williams, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, obviously, Josh Gordon, we've talked a lot about the demons that he's had to deal with. Uh, but Ter- nobody can deny his talent. Right. And Terrence Williams and Sammy Watkins, there have been some ups and downs for them. But most of those names, those are not only wide receiver ones, those are Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver ones, and they started by hitting the same standards that Cortland Sutton hit in his rookie year. What I also like about that list is it's a varying level of quarterback play, too, mm-hmm. because we're not talking about Hall of Famers. Oh, you got Calvin ball. Johnson yeah, on there. exactly. For example. Matt Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. And he didn't have close. Matt Stafford the first couple of years, and right. he was still very productive. Right. You're talking about varying levels of performance at quarterback. So right. the wide receiver position is so dependent. We, yes. we know that. And it tends to be dependent on the talent of your quarterback. But the, the truly good ones, the truly game-changing wide receivers, they're the ones that can make it work with almost anybody. Mm-hmm. DT has shown that ability. He's one of those guys that you can count as one of the the best to play the game in the last decade. Emmanuel has shown times of that as well. So for Cortland, yeah, it's very easy for us to see a path for him to be a wide receiver one. Now he's going to have to go out and get it. That brings me to Deshaun Hamilton. We're talking a lot about Cortland Sutton. But to me, Deshaun Hamilton makes a leap too. Maybe not to 1,000 yards, but maybe he makes that leap to solid number two possession receiver status. I think Joe Flacco is going to love playing with Deshaun Hamilton mm-hmm. because because veteran quarterbacks love precise route runners. Mm-hmm. Tight ends usually are the short to intermediate route stuff, and Deshaun mm-hmm. Hamilton is a short to intermediate kind of guy that, that can get separation in a quick, quick space. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I... I think Joe Flacco is going to find a, a, a really fun... He's going to like going for the 50-50 shots with Cortland. Cortland's going to have to continue to build on his route tree. But Deshaun's already got the route tree. Right. He can run any route, and he gets separation. I think he's going to like playing with him a lot. So with those things being said, and building off of what you have with Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, and even maybe getting more out of Tim Patrick, maybe he's your wide receiver for... Maybe he's your three in a pinch if Emmanuel Sanders is not ready. When you're making the long-term plan for the pass-catching complement, I say that advisedly because I want to include tight ends in this. What is a bigger need as the Broncos go into the draft? Is it getting a wide receiver or getting a tight end? Which do you cross off the list first? The wide receiver who can take the top off, as yeah. we've talked about referring to the Penny Hearts, yes. Terry McLaurins, Emmanuel Andy Isabella's, Hall. Emmanuel Halls, Debo Samuels. But which is the need that if you were the GM, Ryan Edwards, you would fill first, tight end or that extra receiver? Boy, this is so tough. I feel like, and this is probably going to help your argument when we discuss tight ends, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like based on Joe Flacco's history and based on Rich Scangarello and that offensive schemes history with the tight end, it, it kind of has to be an elite tight end. Uh, you know how much I want Nikhil Harry. Yes. Or A.J. Brown or, you know, one, one of those guys in that kind of late day one, early day two pocket. But, man, if you have a tight end, we talked about it on the show. George Kittle led the league in yards after catch last year. I'm glad we're getting to that. And that's that's an undeniable kind of stat when it comes to what you what the modern NFL is and to what works in both this offense and for the quarterback that you currently employ. It just it screams 
it screams that you need that kind of tight end on the field at all times. With George Kittle leading the way for the 49ers, and of course, Rich Scangarello was the quarterback's coach in San Francisco in the last couple of years. But with George Kittle leading the way, the 49ers averaged 6.97 yards after the catch per reception last year. On a per-catch basis, that led the league. Ahead of Kansas City in second place, Pittsburgh third, the Chargers fourth. And with all respect to the tight ends on hand, Jake Butt, of course, he was on our air this week saying he expects to be back by training camp, but you can't go in relying on Jake Butt because of the ACL history. If he blossoms, it's a great bonus. With, I think, the emphasis on tight ends overall in this offense, ensuring that I think you'll see four tight ends on the roster. Yeah. When the 53-man is set, there's room to draft a tight end and also carry Jeff Hireman, Jake Butt, and Troy Fumagalli, who you're bringing along. And the thing you have to ask yourself is, can any of the tight ends you have on hand be George Kittle? And if the answer is no, then you have to look to the draft and you have to look at TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, who I feel like, other than the quarterbacks, we're talking more about them than anybody else in this draft class, maybe even more than inside linebackers right now. I'd say if you go take a look at 30 mocks, there's the, the, the top three positions that are taken for the Broncos are tied in inside linebacker <laughs> and quarterback. Yep. I mean, that in whatever order, but those are like the three positions – Less, less and less have an offensive lineman. Less, none of them have defensive line for the most part. Inside linebacker, tight end, and quarterback. And, and even less are going quarterback because they're starting to get a feel for the Broncos potentially that they're looking at those other positions. They could get what is considered the best tight end in the draft. They can get the best tight end in the draft likely at the 10th spot, or at least the top two, one of the top two guys. They can get one of the top inside linebackers. Question becomes, which one helps your team year one immediately? Which one is more developmental? Maybe takes a little bit more time. I'd still argue inside linebacker could help you immediately, but maybe Vic Fangio sees it differently because he likes the linebackers on the team. Or maybe he likes the value better inside linebackers you get in day two, day three. Could be that. Maybe he likes a Jermaine Pratt. But I like ben the Burke value Irvin. of the tight ends, too. Like, I like the depth Foster of the tight ends. Yeah, yeah, Dax, Dax Raymond. Raymond. There's, some, there's some good value tight ends. Late day two, day three, Jay Sternberger is another one. Mm-hmm. Be a round three guy. You could take him. We mentioned Caleb Wilson on the air because Caleb Wilson out of UCLA among tight ends last year, according to Pro Football Focus, led college football in yards after the catch. The thing is, Caleb Wilson is not an inline guy. And I don't think the Broncos are drafting a tight end who cannot line up in line at some point right next to the tackle. TJ Hawkinson obviously can do that. Noah Fant has the body type and the size to do it. Just because he's got four or five speed and was used more in space at Iowa does not mean he can't step in and block. He's right there around 250 pounds. I think he's three two or three pounds lighter than TJ Hawkinson. So you're, you know, you're splitting hairs at that point if you're saying, oh, Noah Fant can't block because he doesn't have the size. No, he's got the size. Yeah. And he's a 4-5 runner at 249 pounds. There's just more upside there. Right. And that's why you and I tend to be more Noah Fant guys than Hawkinson. There just seems to be more upside. And, you know, we've, we, we, even when we had uh, a guy from CBS Sports on the show yes. on uh, Orange Blue 760, he said he'd take Hawkinson first, but he acknowledged there's more upside with Fan. We talk about, like, which one could be George Kittle, which one of Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson could be Travis Kelsey. Whew. I mean, I'm going to say Fant, but yeah. I think it's because of the downfield yes. catchability that Fant sh- has shown. Hawkinson is, is a brilliant red zone Ability and and short to intermediate, mm-hmm. but Travis Kelsey they line him up right. all over the place. He's in line. He's outside. I like the freedom to line the guy up outside, yeah. even all, not just in a slot type of spot, all the way outside. Line yeah. him up wide from time to time, and to go back to something that 
Deontay Johnson of Toledo told us, and what we've seen from the Broncos in the past, it's going to continue this year. The receivers are going to line up all over the place, and that would include the tight ends. And that was one thing that Deontay Johnson said he liked a lot, was that if you're a wide receiver on the Broncos, you're going to work at every spot. Yeah. So you have to be interchangeable. But the tight ends kind of work hand-in-hand with that. And to go back to an ancestor of this offense, back when Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak were here, of course, they got a lot of good work out of Shannon Sharp. Oh, yeah. And he could be in line, but he could operate in space, and you could move him around, and he was tough for defenses to handle. I think Hawkinson and Fant, look, I, I think you're talking about two guys who are both going to be very successful in the NFL. It's one of those, th- those things where I say, I don't think you can go wrong with either. But if you ask me which one I think is going to be better and cause more headaches for defensive coordinators in three or four years, I think TJ Hawkinson can be very good at top-level tight end. I think Noah Fant, with the speed that he has, can be the one that keeps defensive coordinators up late at night. I'm 100% with you, plus you factor in. You already have tight ends on your roster, when healthy, that have shown plenty of ability to block. But none of them have 4-5 speed. But none of them have 4-5 speed, exactly. So, for me, TJ Hawkinson, probably better than the ones you have on the roster, yes. but you you have blocking tight ends already. Go get, go get somebody that you don't have. And imagine if you have, say, a Noah Fant at tight end and you have a route runner like Deshaun Hamilton. Oh, man. And you have Cortland Sutton taking the next step in his development, hitting those baselines that I referred to earlier. And then later on, maybe it's in round three, you draft a receiver that can develop into a guy who can take the top off. You got some weapons. Well, and then you, you factor in improved offensive line play to give your quarterback time. And, and Joe Flacco, at least early last year, still looked like he could he could do something. And uh, I, if it doesn't work out with the quarterback, then at that point, then you're going to have to really make an investment in 2020. But it really does feel like right now, Mace, it's lining up in 2019 that they're just going to build around Joe and they're going to take their run that way. It's funny we talk about how the offense can be better, and you say they build around Joe Flacco. This isn't specifically endemic to building around Joe Flacco, but at the coach's breakfast at the league annual meeting, Vic Fangio said something that I thought was really interesting about what he expects from the offense. Now, I, it was a, question, a point in the Q&A session where... He was talking about turnarounds. And I asked him about what some of the common threads were of the teams that were successful in turning it around. New Orleans uh, back in the 1980s. San Francisco earlier this decade. The Bears. Even taking the Panthers from nothing to something uh, in 1995 when they were expansion. Here's what Vic said about having better players. Well, there were better players there than people thought there was. So that's obviously a good starting point. I think um, in all those places, we put together good coaching staffs, which is always helps. And once you get a pretty good core group of players and a good coaching staff together, you can turn things around quickly. Um, it didn't go as quickly in Chicago because... There weren't many good players there when we got there, so it took a while. Now, here's what he said about whether he thinks the Broncos are better talent-wise than a lot of people think. I think so at certain places. At certain places, I do. Um, I think offensively, um, we have a chance to be better than people think we do, and I, I think the players are better on offense than the perception was when I first got there. And it's very interesting to me, Ryan, that he emphasized the offensive side. That I think offensively we have a chance to be better than people think. So there are some pieces already there. And you can supplement that in the draft. I think Vic sees a big leap coming from this offense. I mean, you're in an arms race in a division that just seems to be getting better around you. I mean, the, the Raiders adding Antonio Brown. They could relatively draft another offensive weapon with one of those first 
three picks in the first round. They could go after another a quarterback, and they, and then they have Derek Carr and their quarterback of the future. And I'm talking about the team that was the worst. I haven't even yeah. gotten to the Chiefs and the Chargers, who are already still ahead of you. You're going to have to surprise some teams. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, that's just it. You're going to have to surprise some teams because most people think you, as the AFC West, uh, in the AFC West, they think the Broncos are the furthest behind right. in, on the offensive side of the ball. So that's exactly what you're going to have to do. And I think we should take those comments from Fangio and kind of file them away, put them in the back of your mind. Because if this team is going to have the sort of improvement it feels it can have, it's not simply going to be about Vic Fangio coming in and getting the defense right. The offense has to make a quantum leap, and he seems to believe that the parts are there to do it. Well, he's definitely going to have the complimentary defense side taken care of, and that's something that you can lean on. We've seen what that looks like, but it doesn't mean the offense can't, that, that they can just relax and mm-hmm. slide because they tried to do that in 2016 where, oh, well, the defense will be good again. The offense, you know, with Trevor Simeon kind of running things, we'll, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough. You're, you're going to have to have offensive output, the defense, complimentary football, and, and I – I think the optimism for the team resides in expecting better detail work, especially on the defensive side of the ball, seeing guys that have been inconsistent like Justin Simmons take a step forward. And then on the other side of the offense, a steadying force with Joe Flacco built in a scheme that he knows how to run and he's going to feel very confident in. You still need a couple more additions, but it feels like the Broncos are primed to go get them. Of course, one of those couple of more additions could be Kansas State offensive lineman Dalton Reisner, who was at the UC Health Training Center this week to visit with Broncos coaches and officials. Reisner joined Ryan Edwards and me on first and 10 at 10 on Orange and Blue 760 on Friday to talk about his visit and his impressions of the Broncos. Uh, it's good to talk to you again, man. How are you? Hey, Dalton. It's a pleasure, man. Uh, I appreciate all the love, and uh, it's always great coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, so you were in town. You visited with the Broncos. Tell us how it went, man. It was uh, a dream come true. You know, I sat down with the the strength coach, and he said something funny. He said, uh, I walked in, and I knew who you were, but I could tell you were a Colorado kid uh, immediately by how you were beaming ear to ear, looking at everything uh, in detail, and you walked into every room. You know, I just, uh, from the moment I showed up, you know, just walking around the Broncos facility and being in the locker room and, uh, you know, shaking hands with uh, John Elway and chatting with him about my hometown, um, as well as talking to Coach Mudchak and Coach Cooper, the offensive line coaches, uh, Coach Fangio, the head coach, uh, uh, the offensive coordinator, Scandarillo. Uh, and that was just, uh, it was a blessing, man. It was awesome. From Munchak and Chris Cooper, uh, what was the tenor of the discussion and what jumped out to you about what uh, uh, they discussed with you? You know, Coach Munchak uh, is a legend in the game of football. You know, he was drafted an eighth overall pick in the 1982 draft uh, to the Oilers, I believe. And he's just one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. He knows what he's talking about. And uh, Coach Cooper, I mean, you know, he played for the Broncos for eight years, especially at right guard. Um, you know, went on to go coach the Dolphins. You know, I, I know about this staff. I know, I know what they've been through. I know their history. And sitting down there in the O line room with them, you know, they're they're guys that understand football and they're guys that appreciate football. And I think that every player fits a different mold at a different team. And the way that me and Coach Munchak were talking, he likes guys that put their hand in the dirt and they play ball. Um, you know, every coach wants someone someone to have technique and do it the right way, but he just seemed to really love the way I played the game and seemed to be really impressed by my overall knowledge. And um, I got to show him what I know on the whiteboard and show him what I know uh, when we're watching film in terms of angles and what my teammates are doing. And, man, I just felt like I, I could play for those guys. You know, some coaches you meet, you're kind of skeptical, but I just felt like I fit right in and we were just talking ball and uh, I felt like I was a part of the Broncos team yesterday. Oh, that's cool stuff. Dalton Reisner joining us here on first and 10 at 10 orange and blue 760. Now, when we talked to you out at the senior bowl, the, one of the things that we, we discussed, you said, Hey, look, I, I think I profile as a right tackle, but you, of course we know your versatility. The Broncos during free agency, they wouldn't get Juwan James. So if you came in yep. to Denver, you were drafted, you'd probably be in position to compete for a, a guard spot. Now in, in that vain how confident are you or comfortable are you if that was you're a day one starter i'd say right guard 
Yeah, most, most, most definitely, man. That's a position that I'm more than comfortable playing. Uh, I got reps of that at Senior Bowl. Um, I repped that in my whole time here at Kansas State. I didn't play a game at Dart, but that's something I worked in practice. And there's a lot of translation. There's a lot of translation from a guy that's played center and right tackle. Uh, the guard is almost a happy medium. Uh, I pulled a ton at Kansas State. Uh, that's what they like to do with guards in the NFL. Um, you're putting your hand in a three-point, which I did at uh, Senior Bowl the whole time. I felt comfortable doing that. Um, it's just a position that you know I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in, and I feel like I can uh, succeed in, especially the right side or even the left. So uh, that's a that's a need that I know the team needs, and it's a position that I'm comfortable filling in at. Getting the chance to meet John Elway as a Colorado kid, what was that like? What did that mean to you since you grew up as a Bronco fan, knowing what Elway yeah. means to the state? Yeah, man. You know, I ran up to him at the Senior Bowl. I know that everyone kind of tweeted that and talked about <laughs> yeah. how I sprinted across the field to, to shake his hand. And um, I wanted to show him uh, what it meant to me and um, what the Broncos meant to me. And I think I did that at Senior Bowl. And then, um, you know, at these visits, you can't be too much of a fanboy. You got to act. You got to keep your cool. You know, you got to act like a big dog. You can't be uh, freaking out ear to ear asking for autographs and pictures. So, uh, um, you know, you want to impress the guy at the same time. But it was just, uh, it was a good time just being able to shake his hand and be in his presence. And, uh, you know, he might not realize it, but he's a, you know, a legend in my mind, a guy I grew up hearing about constantly. And um, just to be able to chat with him about my hometown and who Dalton Reisner is uh, was pretty dang special, man. Dalton, so we, we, of course, talked to you in the Senior Bowl, which is fairly early in the pre-draft process. A lot has happened since that, the, that week. So take us through a bit of that. What, has been, what have been some of the challenges of the pre-draft process for you? I mean, you're, you're a positive guy. It seems like you've kept a really positive attitude throughout this entire process. But what have been some of the challenges? You know, it's a four-month-long job interview. That's what I've been telling people. You're constantly under evaluation. You're constantly hearing about what you're good and what you're bad at. Uh, you can't get onto any social media without hearing um, uh, critiques or um, positives about yourself, whether they're good or bad. Um, it's just a lot of evaluation. You've got to really keep your head on straight and control the controllable. Um, you're constantly wanting to know where you're going to go into the the type of impression you made on a team. And, you know, it's not like high school um, when you're going to visit colleges. You know, you have the ultimate choice. So these colleges are um, buttering you up and laying out the red carpet. Uh, it, it's completely opposite. You know, these guys... Uh, they're going to tell you straight up what they feel. Um, they're going to be hard on you, and um, they, they don't really care where you want to go. If they want to draft you, they're going to draft you. And if you want a job, you better take it. And uh, that's just kind of the correlation that I've seen. But um, I've enjoyed the process. I've loved it. You know, I talk about those things that are kind of a struggle. But at the end of the day, you know, coming from where I come from, there's so many kids that would just die to just be in that position uh, to be able to be busy and be be worried about where they're going to go in the draft. That's that's why I think it's just such a such a blessing, man. So yeah, has it been uh, you know uh, you know hard at times to con- control the controllable and you know take a deep breath? Yeah, for sure. But at the end of the day, man, it's it's a blessing to be in the position. When you have these interviews with teams, how much do you kind of have to balance? kind of trying to make an impression and impress those guys with also just kind of relaxing and being yourself? You know, I, I think that if you're trying to impress, it's probably not going to be a good interview. Um, you just got to be yourself, and that's what I've been. I've been fooling myself through the good and the bad. Everyone has good things about themselves. Everyone has bad things about themselves. But I'd rather leave a meeting saying I was completely transparent and myself and told them everything the truth rather than leaving saying, man, I was really fake. I really tried to impress them too much. And, and guys guys get a feel of that. You guys know how it works. You you know when someone's trying too hard to impress you, and no one likes that. They just want people that are going to be honest and be real. And, um, and believe it or not, that's one thing that Munchak said. I don't leave in the room. He said, thanks for being so honest with us and so real. And uh, that's exactly what I was, man. I'm going to be myself. And uh, um, that, that's what has worked for me throughout this process. It's been easy to stay grounded in that and, you know, Don Reiser joining us here on First and Ten at Ten Orange and Blue Seven Sixty, the pride of Wiggins, Colorado. We love uh, talking to Dalton Reisner. Okay, Dalton. So uh, let's talk a little bit uh, X's, X's and O's, a little schematic uh, as far as what you feel is is the best fit: zone blocking, power blocking. I know we asked you this uh, before, but hey, look. I mean, again, you've gone through this process. You've talked to a lot of teams. What have the teams told you they think is your best fit? 
You know, uh, from talking to all these teams and kind of talking about what Dalton Reisner is good at, um, a lot of teams have mentioned two things. One, they just love the way I come off the ball uh, with my physicality and, and my effort, right? I'm trying to finish guys every single play and compete. Um, and two, they love the way I get up to second level. So um, in my mind, I feel like you know I'm going to fit an inside zone blocking scheme where I'm getting up to, to linebackers or even a power scheme where um, you know, you're, you're double teaming getting up to linebackers as well. Um, but then you know when you talk about outside zone, you're, uh, you're needing a guy that's going to line up, line up and just go to work and be the guy one-on-one. So um, I honestly don't have the answer. I'm going to give you guys the cliche, like, man, I think I fit anything. But um, I don't have an answer to what, to where I think I fit in best. I'm sure coaches would, but that's what coaches have been impressed with me. You know, they've been impressed with the ability to come off the ball and uh, block a guy one-on-one and be nasty with that. And then they love the way I get up to second level and finish linebackers. In the course of interviewing with teams all throughout the last few months, have there been any unusual questions that you weren't expecting that they asked? And if so, uh, what were a couple of them? Oh, most definitely, man. You know, I've had coaches ask me, uh, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, you uh, tell me some, some bad things, things that you like that you aren't good at or things that, um, you know, and that's personal. You know, they talk about, you know, don't you got a good GPA, you're a three-year captain, a football player. Talk to me about what uh, what's wrong with you. What do you got like wrong with you? That kind of just throws you off, you know, it's things you don't think about. And obviously there's plenty wrong with me that I can uh, respond to that. I've had coaches start a stopwatch and see how long I can stare at them without blinking. Uh, you know, I've had, I've had coaches um, ask me some awkward questions and just drill me over and over. You know, I got drilled by Coach Munchak asking questions, making me flip defense and change schemes and uh, question where my running back is going and question what my other positions are doing. And um, I thought I really impressed them with that. You know, so teams will throw a lot of stuff at you. They want to see really if you know, do you just know one play? Um, Can you just drop one play? You know, that's a thing that you hear all the time is that everyone's been through this process and like make sure you know, you know, your favorite play and you can draw it up on the whiteboard. Well, I ran into a lot of coaches that are like, okay, once you get, let's get the first play out of the way because everyone knows you have to do one. But drop me up another play. Drop me up a pass protection. Hey, well, what is your wide receiver doing on this play? So, you know, just questions like that. They want to throw curves at you. They want to see, uh, do you really know ball? Or are you just memorizing plays uh, for interviews or, or things like that? So it's been, it's been kind of all over the place, man. What are some of the other uh, meetings that you've taken? You talk, we're talking about the Broncos. That was uh, earlier this week on Wednesday. Some of the other meetings, what were some impressions that you, you got from some of the other teams, uh, obviously, and as part of this job interview? Yeah, you know, I've, I've met with a ton of teams. Uh, I've met with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and this is, you know, I met with every team at the Combine and the Super yeah. Bowl pretty much. But since that's been over, you know, I've met with the Chiefs, um, the, the Titans, the, the Cardinals, the Chargers, uh, the Buccaneers. Uh, I, I can't remember them all. Um, and I have a visit four in a day. Um, but that's how you want it. You know, you want to meet with a lot of teams. And there hasn't been one team I haven't liked. You know, I've enjoyed every single staff I've met with or every single offensive line coach. And uh, everyone brings a different element to the game. And obviously, I feel like I fit in with more team, uh, some teams more than others. Uh, obviously, I won't ever tell anybody which teams I feel that way about. But um, I've been um, extremely blessed and, uh, and fortunate to be meeting with so many teams. And I just think it's funny how every team or every coach – uh, coach is a little bit different or has a little bit different of mindset and you just kind of got to get accustomed to that and uh, wherever I end up going uh, you know I got to figure out what position I'll be at because some teams are like hey you're a pure right tackle some teams will say you're a pure center some will say you're a pure guard and uh, what I think I've learned is that wherever the team's need is uh, that's kind of where they're just kind of plugging me in at confident that I can play that position. Whatever team you end up with what are the areas in your game that you expect will improve and get better by being in the pro environment getting pro teaching just technique man um you know i'm a guy that's going to compete my butt off uh, whether it's good or bad i'm going to make sure i win my battle but in the nfl when you're going against guys like von miller uh, Derek wolf um guys like that uh, chubb uh, you're going to have to be able to do it with good technique. Uh, a competitive, competing and working hard will only take you so far, um, but you got to got to have technique. We all know that. So, uh, not clicking my heels together on a pass pro, uh, not opening up my feet, staying square to the line of scrimmage, um, not false stepping on one place, keeping my hands inside, uh, better hat placement, uh, finishing blocks, things like that. Technique and run blocking and pass blocking that that'll help you block guys like that um, is something that I really want to improve on uh, at the next level. Don, last question for you, man. Really appreciate you popping on with us this morning. 
something we talk about with Steve all the time, because you, you met Steve out at the Senior Bowl, super nice guy. It's kind of like that off the field, but when he gets on the field, he flips a switch. You're a pretty nice guy off the field. You have to flip a switch when you play the game. So how do you go about doing that? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, man. I've loved meeting Steve. I, I was just in the indoor yesterday and just saw his banner up there. I said, hey, that's my boy Steve. And, you know, he uh, that's awesome, man. That just makes me smile thinking about my guy Steve. But um, when it comes to the switch, you know, my dad taught me at an early age. I mean, shoot, I was in peewee football, and my dad was telling me that football was a job. And some parents look at that and they think that's awful. But listen, if it wasn't for that, man, I don't know if I'd be where I'm at today. You know, I'm, I'm playing peewee football. My dad's telling me, uh, you can have some fun, but this is a job. When you get on that football field, you quit laughing, you quit messing around with your friends, and you go to work. And I saw that just flipping me really, really early on. And every time I touched the field and it was game time or practice time, I flipped the switch. And when I was little, I pretend I was flipping a switch up till probably high school. Um, but then it just became natural for me. When I step on that field, I'm not there to make friends. Uh, I'm there to win, and I'm there to do my job. And I don't care who lined up across from me, I'm going to go to battle. And that's what I love about the game of football. It gets me so passionate. You know, my, I'll end with my favorite quote. It's the, There's no greater feeling in football than taking a man from point A to point B, a grown man, if you will, and uh, uh, against his will. Uh, taking him from one point to the other, point A to point B against his will. Uh, and that's all about the switch, man. So I think that that was just instilled with me at a young age. Love it. Dalton, do you want to give any shout-outs since oftentimes when we have you on, it's uh, usually with a local crowd that, that really loves you. So uh, you want to give any shout-outs before we let you go? Oh, man, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. I don't know who would be listening, but a uh, shout-out to all my Wiggins family, uh, and that's uh, a lot more than just my immediate family. My dad, uh, Mitchell, Melinda Reisner, uh, Josh Hayes listens occasionally. So uh, just all my Wiggins family, all those people out there in Colorado that are supporting me, uh, that's awesome, man. Thanks for that opportunity. Dalton, we're awesome. proud of you, man. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Dalton. you, fellas. Uh, let, me, let me know if you ever need anything. Thanks again. We've talked with Reisner a few times during this pre-draft process and have never failed to come away impressed with this young man from Kansas State and perhaps more importantly for the Broncos from Wiggins, Colorado. He's a lifelong Broncos fan and certainly you get the sense that he would like nothing more on draft night than to hear the Broncos call his name. The draft is just three short weeks away. We'll have you covered here on DenverBroncos.com, the Broncos 365 app, Orange and Blue 760, and of course here on the Horse and Around podcast. For Ryan Edwards, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. This has been another edition of Horse and Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horse and Around.